Chapter Twenty Eight of Paul the Dauntless. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Leeson. Paul the Dauntless by Basil Joseph Matthews. Chapter Twenty Eight. One who marched breast forward. Paul was tired with his strain of the long night's work, and he hurried out so that he should not miss the ship at Assos. If we may guess at his reason for wishing to go thither by land rather than by sea, it is most natural to suppose that he wanted the solitude of a long walk in which to face alone with his master all the peril that, he knew, lay in ambush for him in Jerusalem. So Paul footed it out through the south gate of Troas and along the street through the suburb. He would pass the beautiful buildings where hot springs of healing water gushed from the earth into the marble baths, to which, in the afternoon, the dandies of the city would lounge and the slaves would carry the Roman ladies. Soon Paul's feet were on the open-paved road. With the sun rising above the green mountains on his left, and shining upon the plain, the headland, and the gleaming sea on his right, Paul travelled swiftly through the open country. He had gone twenty miles when the roofs of the town of Assos came in sight. Going straight to the port, he found, sure enough, that his friends had already sailed into harbor. He went aboard the ship, and by dawn of the next day she had cast off from the quay and was threading her way through the harbor shipping. Rounding the end of the stone pier, she ran before the breeze all day, till at sundown she anchored in the port of Mytilene, beyond the island of Lesbos. The harbor faced the rising sun, looking from the island across the narrow waters to the coast of Asia. By the time the light of morning had touched the hills of Lesbos, the sail was unfurled again, and the ship swept southward past the mouth of the gulf and by the dark mass of the island of Chios, which lay couched like a lion guarding the gate to Smyrna. Paul was eager to go forward to Jerusalem, and his spirit may have chafed at the need to stop each night at ports so close to one another. Luke, however, a Greek living near the shore of the Aegean Sea, loved the ship and the sea, and reveled in her making a new harbor each night, for he tells us of each one as they reached it. It was still April, the early summer of the Aegean Sea. The ship stopped each evening because the wind in the Aegean at that time of year generally blows from the north from before sunrise through the day, the cool air from the mountains rushing down across the seas to fill the place of the hot air that rises from the African desert. The breeze from the north dies away as the afternoon wears on, falling to a dead calm at sunset, after which a wind from the south blows gently through the night. So again they cast anchor in the afternoon near Cape Argenum on the mainland opposite Chios. In the morning they were away before dawn across the entrance to the Gulf of Ephesus and swinging under the lee of Samos. They had not passed Cape Trogilium when the wind fell again and the captain anchored his ship there, running early the next day across the gulf between Samos and the mainland. The next morning they stood across the gulf and by noon the vessel was made fast alongside one of the wharves of Miletus, where she was swiftly boarded by the porters who started to unload her cargo keeping up a sing-song chant as they went to and fro with jars of oil and wine and loads of grain and hides. It would take some days for the unloading and to ship a new cargo. One of Paul's friends therefore started for Ephesus as swiftly as sail and beast could carry him. The messenger, 
taking advantage of the southerly breeze of the late afternoon the imbat could land at priene climb the hills on the following morning and drop again to the coast road reaching ephesus by the following afternoon no sooner did the friends of ephesus know that their great companion and hero was at miletus than they were all agog to see him and swiftly shod and girded themselves for the journey back with the messenger to see paul if they made good journeying they would reach him on the last day of april and may have spent may first with him they had not seen him since the great riot when all ephesus was filled with the shouting great artemis of ephesus in a room they gathered round paul waiting to hear all that he would say but most of all to see the loved face of the man he talked to them luke sat quietly listening perhaps writing a note quickly on a roll taken from his tunic so that he should be able to tell the very words to the people who had never seen paul you know quite well paul said how i lived among you all the time ever since i set foot in asia how i served the lord in all humility with many a tear and many a trial which i encountered owing to the plots of the jews the men would nod their heads in agreement then paul continued you know how i never shrank from letting you know anything for your good or from teaching you alike in public and from house to house bearing my testimony both to jews and greeks of repentance before god and faith in our lord jesus christ now here i go to jerusalem under the binding force of the spirit what will befall me there i do not know only i know this that in town after town the holy spirit testifies to me that bonds and troubles await me their faces would be sad at this but would glow with admiring hero worship as they heard their leader say just what those who knew his fearless spirit would expect but then i set no value on my own life compared with the joy of finishing my course and carrying out the commission i received from the lord jesus to attest the gospel of the grace of god i know he said amid a hush of awe i know to-day that not one of you will ever see my face not one of you among whom i moved as i preached the rain i know that when i am gone fierce wolves will get in among you and they will not spare the flock so be on the alert remember how for three whole years i never ceased night and day to watch over each one of you with tears and now i entrust you to god he is able to build you up their heads would nod agreement again as paul went on to say with his work-stained hands held out you know yourselves how these hands of mine provided everything for my own needs and for my companions silver gold or clothing i never coveted i showed you how this was the way to work hard and care for the poor remembering the words of the lord jesus who said to give is happier than to get with these words paul fell on his knees and poured out prayer as he ceased their voices broke out in lamenting they fell on paul's neck and kissed him fondly sorrowing chiefly because he told them that they would never see his face again they all went down to the harbor together at last the captain of the ship gave the order to hoist sail paul tore himself away from his friends who grown men as they were could hardly see him through the mist of their tears as the ship gathered way and went out on the southward trail away to starboard in the light of the morning lay patmos screened by lesser islands on the port side the coast faded away into a deep full gulf and then shot out again in a wild riot of rock 
the breeze drove the ship on till they sighted Cos Island to the starboard, and ran in under her lee, before the wind had sunk to a calm or the imbat arisen to drive her back in her tracks. In the morning they were away before the gleam of the sun had flushed to life the white columns of the temple behind the little harbour of Cos. Tacking east into the gulf of Halicarnassus they swung west again, round the southern cape, and threaded the channel among the islands till the great island roads loomed ahead of them, her rolling hills and rich valleys covered with the spring green of olive trees and vines. Long before Paul sailed into the deep safe harbor of Rhodes, the mighty brazen Colossus, which had once straddled from pier to pier across the harbor, had crashed into the sea under the shock of earthquake. Yet eye and ear were filled with the sights and sounds of Rhodes, the glorious hills, the noble temples, the forest of masts, the cries of sailors speaking every tongue from Phoenicia to Spain, the hammering and sawing in the shipbuilding yards, the flitting of small boats across the harbor among the ships. And behind all, on the horizon to the northwest, lay the Lycian coast. From the sea the hills lifted themselves, rising past deep mysterious valleys to the high mountain ridge of the Taurus range, that caught the sun's first rays as Paul's ship next day sailed westward for Patara, the end of the ship's voyage. As the vessel made fast alongside the wharves of Patara harbor in the afternoon, Paul saw behind the port the city of Xanthus breasting the foothills of the Taurus. Paul and his friends had to change ships here, and may have gone up into the city through the gates into the colonnaded chariot way, flanked by footwalks leading up to the theater, and beyond that to the temple of Apollo, the sun-god. But none of them would stay long, for time pressed, and a large ship that could face the longer voyage across the great sea, away from coast and the ports, lay waiting to sail to the Phoenician harbor of Tyre. Going aboard, they took passage on her, and next day were out on the great sea, running southeast. Over the sea, like a dim cloud, came the distant coast of Cyprus, as it drew nearer, Paul would be able to point out to Luke, as they stood on deck, the little harbor of Paphos, away over the port bow. Between those breakwaters, Barnabas and he had sailed into these same seas ten years before. The next afternoon they sighted the high bluff of Carmel glittering in the May sunshine, and the ship put in alongside the breakwater which made a wharf for Tyre, this island city by the coast. There the ship was to unload her cargo. They had still a margin of time before Pentecost, so they went up the narrow streets of Tyre and searched for the Christian disciples who lived there. For a whole week they stayed there, while Paul would speak with them in the cool dimness of some room away from the glare of the summer sun and the bustle and dust of the traffic. "'Do not go up to Jerusalem,' said the friends at Tyre to Paul. They knew the peril that he ran." But he had set his face toward the city, with his friends who, with their splendid gift, were the living evidence of the love which should bind all Christian folk together, whether they were Jews or Greeks or barbarians. At last the ship was ready, the time was up, and they set sail. The Christians in Tyre, women, boys and girls, and all, came down the streets of the town to the beach. The porters, the sailors, and passing loungers would stare as this group of men and women and children knelt down, and one with a strong eager face poured out words of prayer. Then they said good-bye to one another, and Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, and the others went aboard. 
By noon the ship had covered the miles between Tyre and Ptolemais, and had again made fast at the wharf in the sandy bay, where they all hurried ashore to greet the brothers there, and then went aboard again for the last hours of sailing. Skirting the coast past Carmel, here hilly, there a confusion of sand dunes, fringing the lovely plain of Sharon where the flowers were now shriveling in the sun, they sighted the brave sickle-shaped breakwater that made the splendid artificial harbor of Caesarea, dominated by the square, strong Roman citadel. Paul had passed through Caesarea again and again, so he could lead his friends straight to the house of his friend Philip, who welcomed them all gladly to his home. There they listened to all that Philip had to tell Paul of the happenings in the homeland, how Felix, the Roman governor, had paid assassins privately to slay the high priest, and had crucified many rebels on Olivet, how the zealot Jews, with a burning passion for the Jewish law, were on the qui vive, and were ready to stab or stone any Jew who violated the holy temple court by allowing the foot of a foreigner to tread its marble pavements. They plotted to kill me on the ship from Corinth, Paul would tell Philip. Then Paul would remember again that those Jews who were aflame with the lust of his blood had sailed on ahead of him and were now in Jerusalem waiting for him. In their minds, too, the old words which had once beaten like hammers in Paul's own Pharisee brain now rang like a command. You shall not consent unto him, nor listen to him, neither shall your eye pity him, neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal him, but you shall surely kill him you shall stone him with stones that he die. As they sat talking, there came in a man from the hills whose eyes glowed with the look of one who saw strange tragic visions. He came in among them, and going up to Paul, took hold of the girdle of his mantle and loosened it, and then took it in his own hands. Luke and Philip and Timothy and the others gazed at this man, whose name was Agabus, wondering what he would do. Agabus stooped, then twisting the girdle round his own feet and fastening it, he said, as he stood erect again, Here is the word of the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews bind him who owns this girdle at Jerusalem, and hand him over to the Gentiles. Paul was not startled. He had himself all along in this journey more and more come to believe that this would be. But it brought the peril home swiftly and with agony to his friends. How could they bear to see their hero leader taken like a criminal and perhaps beheaded? The horror of it gripped them. It filled Timothy, who had walked these hundreds of leagues by Paul's side, over the plateaus and the mountains, and had faced death with him on sea and land, Luke, who would willingly have died for Paul, and the others who owed all the glory and joy of their being to the new life that Paul had brought to them. Do not, do not go up to Jerusalem, they cried, and, men as they were, their eyes filled with tears. Do not put your life in peril. Stay here. Paul was touched to the quick. He could for a moment hardly control his own heart. Then with firm set face he spoke to them. What do you mean, he asked, by weeping and unnerving me? Then followed the dauntless words which would soon be put to the uttermost test. I am ready, he said, not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing could daunt that great heart, nor could even the love of friends turn him aside. This his friends now saw. They agreed to his going to Jerusalem at whatever cost. The will of the Lord be done, 
they said. End of chapter 28